0: This is the Proactive IT Podcast. This week, the latest in IT and cybersecurity news, plus the new normal, February HIPAA roundup, and law firms get ready. This is episode 22. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Proactive IT Podcast. Each week, we talk about the latest in tech and cyber news, compliance, and more. We also bring you real-world examples to learn from so that you can better protect your business and your identity. This podcast is brought to you by Nawaj Tech, a client-focused and security-minded IT consultant located in Central Connecticut. You can find us at nawajtech.com. That's N-W-A-J Tech dot com all right if you could leave us a review share this podcast um, like it give it five stars whatever you want to do on your podcast platform of choice we would greatly appreciate it we're really just trying to reach people with important information so they can protect themselves out there in the wonderful world of technology also if you're in a hipaa compliant business whether it's a business associate or a covered entity Go to Facebook, in the search, type in "Get HIPAA Compliance and join that group because you will learn stuff. And stuff is important in HIPAA, isn't it? It helps you protect your, your healthcare practice, business, whatever it is you do better going forward in a healthcare world, one that is very litigious, one that um, is very cruel, to be honest with you. So join the group and learn. I don't have a question of the week this week, so I'm going to take this opportunity to reiterate something. The relaxation of the HIPAA rules around telehealth uh, doesn't apply to all the HIPAA rules because I'm seeing it a lot on social media and even questions being asked of me. And I I shared this information last week in an Instagram TV post, so I'm going to share it again. The rules, the relaxation of the rules only apply to telehealth and they only apply to being able to provide telehealth services to patients via uh, applications like FaceTime or Facebook Messenger. They do not apply to any other area of HIPAA and they also stipulate that if you're going to do this, you need to let the patient know that it is a less secure method of communication and you cannot use things like facebook live where it would go live out to the public so facebook live TikTok, things like that um you can use facetime you can use facebook facebook messenger you can use duo you can use apps like that that are one-to-one and don't have an audience um And this is temporary, so eventually they will pull this back and eventually you will have to use an application that is approved by the, and even now you still have to get approval by the insurance company. So if the insurance company says no, then you cannot do it. Um, Eventually they will pull it back and you will have to use an application that will sign a business associate agreement It has the appropriate levels of encryption and uh, so forth, and so there are a few applications out there. The one that I usually recommend is, is uh, Zoom for telehealth. But as of right now, as of the moment of this recording, you can use, and it will probably last for for a few months anyway. You can use Facebook Live, uh, not sorry, Freudian slip, I guess I don't know, Facebook Messenger, FaceTime, Duo. WhatsApp applications that are one to one communication apps for video. You can use Zoom, but you don't have to get the telehealth version. Um, You know, and and there are other applications like that out there. So, uh, just want to make that clear because, you know, I guess that could be the question of the week. I have been asked on several occasions already in the last, since I shared that last week. So, just in, in just over a week, about nine days now. Um, I've seen it all over Facebook and LinkedIn. You can, it doesn't, they're not relaxing all of the HIPAA rules. They're only relaxing the rules around telehealth. So I hope that clarifies that for some people. Um, For Patch Tuesday updates, we have, uh, the only update I saw this week was Apple released some security updates. So let me tell you about that. Um, And I don't think that's actually true. I think Adobe released an update too. But um, Apple released security updates for iCloud for Windows 7.18, iCloud for Windows 10.9, iTunes 12.10.5 for Windows, which I'm not sure why anybody's using iTunes still, Uh, iOS 13.4 and iPad OS 13.4, Safari 13.1. Watch OS 6.2, TV OS 13.4, Mac OS Catalina 10.15.4, Security Update 2020-002 Mojave, and Security Update 2020-002 High Sierra, and Xcode 11.4. So, um, if you have any of those products, which if you're using Apple, you probably have all of them, you should apply the updates Right away, and I just want to verify for you that there's no other. uh, uh, Yes, there was that's right now. I remember there was um, (coughs) Actually, there's a couple of other updates. There's Adobe did release a security update for the creative cloud desktop application So if you're using creative cloud, you'll want to address that because it is an update with a a vulnerability and um, Windows did Microsoft did release an update for um windows defender because of an issue where it was not scanning everything and i'll talk about that in a few moments so that's going to do it for your patch tuesday update um and that's going to do it for this portion of the show All right. It was a busy news week for cybersecurity. Uh, A lot of it centers around COVID-19. And I had a conversation earlier um, yesterday talking about the extreme increase in phishing activity around COVID-19. There is a proliferation of COVID-19 phishing attacks, um, ransomware attacks, espionage, uh, hacking just is all over the place right now so it's really important that business owners educate their employees or have your IT educate employees and remain vigilant around anything around COVID-19 so I'm gonna say it one more time here if you didn't ask for the email if it is unsolicited around COVID-19 do not click and do not download anything think before you click if you are told about a website that has a vaccine or a cure, do not go to it. There are no vaccines or cures yet. And if you want more information about it, then go to the CDC's website, which is cdc.gov. Go to HHS website, which is hhs.gov. Or go to um, the WHO's website, uh, World Health Organization website. You need to. We need to realize that um, people are playing on our fears. And that's how phishing works. It always plays on an emotion and they're going to take advantage of people going forward. And right now, COVID-19 is the way to do that. Um, So let's jump into the news. First up, speaking of HHS, hhs HHSgov.gov open redirect used by coronavirus phishing to spread malware. HHS HHS.gov, open redirect is currently being used by attackers to push malware payloads onto unsuspecting victims' systems with the help of coronavirus-themed phishing emails. Open redirects are web addresses that automatically redirect users between a source website and a target site and are regularly used by malicious actors to send their targets to phishing landing pages or to deliver malware payloads under the guise of a legitimate service. So I'm hoping they fix this by now, but um, as, as of... Last check. No, they did not. HHS.gov is the website of the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, which makes this specific open redirect the perfect tool to lure in potential victims. The open redirect is HT- https//dcis.hhs.gov CAS slash login mark service equals malicious URL and gateway equals true is present on the subdomain of HHS's Departmental Contracts Information System and it was discovered and shared on Twitter by Infosec analyst Sexum, the anth- the attack, and that's S-E-C-S-O-M-E. The attackers used it to link to malicious attachment containing coronavirus.doc.link, L-I-N-K file, which will unpack an obfuscated VBS script that will download and execute a raccoon information stealer malware payload from 185.62.188.204 slash hunt slash post slash corona dot exe. And there's a link, uh, this is articles on Bleeping Computer. There's a link to the virus total analysis. And after saving it to temp slash uppercase H, lowercase H, uppercase K, uppercase F, uppercase W dot exe. Raccoon, A.K. Le- Legion, Mohazo. and Rakiller is an information-stealing malware initially spotted almost a year ago on cyber criminal forums and capable of stealing data such as email credentials, credit card, info, cryptocurrency wallets, browser data, and system information. So it gets on your system and it reads all those sensitive files. This is why we tell people don't save your passwords in Chrome or Firefox. A report from CyberArk says that Raccoon is capable of digging its way into about 60 different applications from browsers cryptocurrency wallets, email, and FTP clients to steal and deliver sensitive information to its operators. So um, be careful of being redirected from the hhs.gov site to any other um, website that doesn't look legitimate. Uh, to defend against similar attacks, you should always be suspicious of coronavirus-related attachments, which, you know, I just said. So we're going to leave it at that. Um, Right. On Forbes, COVID-19 vaccine test center hit by cyber attack. Stolen data posted online. A medical facility on standby to help test any coronavirus vaccine has been hit by a ransomware group that promised not to target medical organizations. So I think we talked about the two groups that said they wouldn't. One of those being Mays. Criminals behind the maze ransomware attacks have struck again stealing data from a victim and then publishing it online to get them to pay the ransom demand That in and of itself would not be particularly newsworthy. Sadly. However, the maze threat actors were amongst the leading cybercrime gangs Which just days ago pledged not to attack healthcare and medical targets The maze threat actors didn't go as far as those behind the payment threat by offering free decryptor codes to those hit by accident nor It would appear, did they mean what they said? The latest victim is Hammersmith Medicines Research, a British company that previously tested the Ebola vaccine and is on standby to perform the medical trials on any COVID-19 vaccine. Malcolm Boyce, clinical director at Hammersmith Medicines Research, told Computer Weekly that the cyber attack, which took place on March 14th, was spotted in progress, stopped, and systems restored without paying any ransom. We repelled the attack and quickly restored all our functions, he said. There was no downtime. This was admittedly before Mays announced on March 18th that it would no longer target medical organizations. However, this pledge has not stopped it from continuing attempts to extort them. So they attacked before March 18th, but they're trying to extort them after they made the announcement. The Mays attackers apparently managed to exfiltrate data, in this case patient records, and has published some of them online. Boyce told Computer Weekly that the hackers had sent Hammersmith Medicine's research sample files containing details of people, who participated in testing trials between eight and twenty years previously? The Maze operators then published samples of data on the dark web. I have seen the posting from the Maze group that had that adds Hammersmith Medicine's research as a new client, which is how it describes victims of its attack. Um, tech giant GE discloses data breach after service provider hack. This is on Bleeping Computer. Fortune 500 tech giant General Electric disclosed that. Personally identifiable information of current and former employees as well as beneficiaries was exposed in a security incident experienced by one of GE's service providers. GE is a multinational operating in a wide range of tech segments, including aviation, power, healthcare, and renewable energy, and is currently ranked by Fortune 500 as the 21st largest company in the U.S. by revenue. GE currently has customers of more than 180 countries and in excess of 280,000 employees, according to the company's 2018 annual report. G says in a notice of data breach filed with the Office of Cal- California Attorney General that Canon Business Process Services, Canon, a GE service provider, and had one of their employees' email accounts breached by an unauthorized party in February. So this happened in California, which means they could fall under the CCPA. They meet the the uh, guidelines, so they probably will be held under the CCPA, the California Consumer Protection Act. Or, Privacy Act, I think it's Privacy Act. We were notified on February 28, 2020, that Canon had determined that between approximately February 3rd and February 14th, an unauthorized party gained access to an email account that contained documents of certain GE employees, former employees, and beneficiaries entitled to benefits that were maintained on Canon's systems. GE also states that sensitive personal information exposed during the incident was uploaded by or for current and former GE employees, as well as beneficiaries entitled to benefits in connection with the Canon's Workflow Routing Service. So here's some of the information they got. Direct deposit forms, driver's licenses, passports, birth certificates, marriage certificates, death certificates, medical child support orders, tax withholding forms, beneficiary designation forms, and applications for benefits such as retirement, severance, and death benefits with related forms and documents. May have included names, addresses, social security numbers, driver's license numbers, bank account numbers, passport numbers, dates of birth, and other information contained in the relevant forms. GE systems were not breached. This was Canon that was breached, and um, <coughs> being that they had the information, it it's uh, GE's information that was breached, but GE itself was not breached. On threat post. The World Health Organization targeted an espionage attempt. COVID-19 cyber attacks spike. Dark Hotel Group could have been looking for information on test vaccines or trial cures. The World Health Organization has attracted the notice of cyber criminals as the worldwide COVID-19 pandemic continues to play out with a doubling of attacks recently, according to officials there. Problematically, evidence has also shown has also now apparently surfaced that the Dark Hotel APT group has tried to infiltrate its networks to steal information. Alexander Rubellis, cybersecurity researcher attorney at Blackstone Law Group, told Reuters that the, he personally observed a malicious site being set up on March 13th that mimicked the WHO's internal email system. Its purpose was to steal passwords from multiple agency staffers and Rubellis' Noted that he realized quite quickly that this was a live attack on the World Health Organization in the midst of a pandemic. The attack appeared to be aimed at achieving a foothold at the agency rather than being an end unto itself. So, I mean, that's that's basic hacking. You start by getting finding your way in. You start by reconnaissance, and then you find your way in. The targeting infrastructure seems to focus on certain types of healthcare and humanitarian organizations that are in common for cyber criminals. Kostin Raou, researcher at Kaspersky told ThreatPost, this could suggest the actor behind the attacks are more interested in gathering intelligence rather than being financially motivated, which is very possible. Um, As for the why of the attack which was thwarted, Raou said that information about remediation for coronavirus such as cures, tests, or vaccines would be invaluable to any nation-state's intelligence officials. So it sounds like they're saying it's a nation-state. So far, we don't know the motivation behind these attacks. However, at times like this, any information about cures or tests or vaccines relating to coronavirus would be priceless, and the priority of any intelligence organization of an affected country, he told ThreatPost. And I think I saw today, let me see what the count is right now. It was uh, 175 countries, Yes, 175 countries currently have at least one person with the coronavirus, uh, COVID-19 that is, um, infection. Um, so, this, you know, this is an example of what I mean. This is uh, a group trying to find their way into the World Health Organization and unknown why, but they are trying to find their way in. And they're trying to skirt around the system by using potentially contractors and so forth to get in. And this is why we need to remain vigilant when it comes to cybersecurity because as we're running around, you know, things – people take shortcuts. There's so much going on that some things might fall by the wayside because we need to get something else accomplished. Uh, Bleeping Computer reports three more ransomware families create sites to leak stolen data. So this um, – methodology of getting your ransoms paid we talked about a few months ago when Maze started doing this and we told you that this would be a continued uh, this would continue to grow and so here we are three more corona- three more ransomware families have created sites that are being used to leak the stolen data of non-paying victims and further illustrates why all ransomware attacks must be considered data breaches Ever since May has created their news site to publish stolen data of their victims who choose not to pay other ransomware actors such as Soto Nakibi or Revel, the same name, same group, Nemti and Doppelpaymer have been swift to follow. Over the past two days, Bleepy Computer has learned, learned of another three ransomware families who have now launched their data leak sites, which are listed. So they are the Netflim ransomware. NetFilm Ransomware has launched a site called Corporate Leaks that is being used to dump the data of victims who did not pay a ransom. NetFilm is fairly new and is believed to be a new version of the Nempty Ransomware. Klopp Ransomware has also released a leak site called Klopp-Leaks, there's a couple extra special characters that they are using to publish stolen data for non-paying victims. The Klopp ransomware made news recently after it attacked Maastricht University and was paid 30 bitcoins to recover the data. And then Sekhmet ransomware, and that's spelled S-E-K-H-M-E-T. Finally, a relatively new ransomware called Secmet has also released data leak site called Leaks, Leaks, and Leaks. Not, sh- not much is known about this ransomware other than their ransom note is named recoverfiles.txt. Um, so it's going to be a continuing trend, and we really, really... And I've said it for months now, the only way you're going to stop ransomware is to make it not profitable. If, if, if the ransomware operators are not making money, they're not going to continue doing what they're doing. Because it's, it is risk. It is risk for them as well. Bleeping computer reports, Microsoft fixes Windows Defender scan bug with new update. So real quick, there was a, a bug in Windows Defender where it would skip some files during scan you would receive an error message that says the Windows Defender antivirus can scan skipped an item due to exclusion of network scanning settings. There was a workaround that said um, that was to enable network scanning, and that fixed the issue, but Windows Defender has released an update. It is KB4052623, um, and that will resolve the issue. Um, Infosecurity group, which is infosecurity-magazine.com, reports that a Cincinnati firm faces a $5 million data breach lawsuit. A Cincinnati freight brokerage company is facing a $5 million lawsuit over a data breach that occurred last month. Computer systems at Total Quality Logistics, which is TQL for short, were compromised in a cyber attack that took place on February 23rd. Customer and carrier information was exposed after threat actors breached the company's online web portal. Carrier data compromised in the attack included tax ID numbers, bank account numbers, and in some cases, social security numbers. Breached customer data included email addresses, phone numbers, first and last name, and TQL customer ID numbers. Now TQL is being sued by an unnamed trucking company owned by Charles Newman of Milwaukee County, Wisconsin. A Complaint filed in the U.S. District Court for the Southern District of Ohio alleges that TQL failed to implement and maintain reasonable security measures over personally identifiable information. The plaintiff accuses TQL of negligence and claims that the consequences of the data breach were dire and far reaching. Had TQL taken the well known risk of cyber intrusion secu- seriously and adequately tested, audited, and invested in its IT systems and adequately trained the staff, the lawsuit states the data breach would never have occurred. Um, I think I saw somewhere in this article that they believe it was, uh, phish- it began with phishing. Uh, so, you know, there, there is that for whatever it is. Um, why am I sharing this right now? Because this Cincinnati is, does not have that. I'm aware of does not have a data breach. Um, they don't have the, you know, the GDPR or the CCPA or the New York shield law. They don't have those laws in in Cincinnati yet, but here it is a $5 million lawsuit that, that the originator of the lawsuit is trying to make a class action suit, which would, could could potentially put this company in, in financial s- dire straits. Um, so, I'm sharing this because we really need we need to understand that data is worth more than gold right now on the on the si- dark web, which is the black market of the internet. Data, especially personally identifiable information and PHI, even more so, is worth more than gold and um people are going to continue to sue and it's going it's going to get to be extremely expensive and people are going businesses are going to go bankrupt and people are going to lose their shirts over this and it just we we need to step up and protect pii and phi better than we're doing now um so let me step off my soapbox and i got one more article to share with you for the news WordPress malware distributed via pirated coronavirus plugins. So, um, real quick, there is a group. When you there is a way to get WordPress plug, you know, paid WordPress plugins and WordPress themes for free. They're distributed as nulled or pirated. The, the keyword: they're being pirated. So there's a WP VCD family of WordPress infections. They distribute these. Uh, plugins and themes as nulled or pirated, and they usually have some code change in the plugin or theme that allows them to spread malware or take over websites, uh, crypto jacking, all of these things that that can be done over the web. And now they are doing this for um, through coron- through plugins to coronavirus plugins. I'm sorry through coronavirus plugins that will inject a backdoor into your website. And, you know, the purpose of that, not sure. But um, what will happen is they can either take over your website, they can use your website to crypto mine, they can use, you know, there's just so much they could do with it. Um, so the point is don't use pirated WordPress plugins or WordPress themes because, you know, even if it wasn't for coronavirus right now, it's dangerous because you're putting yourself and anybody who visits your site at risk. Um, That's going to wrap up the news. We're going to move on to our hot topics for the week. All right, Uh Nuage Tech works with compliance businesses. We work with all businesses, but we specialize in compliance. And I talk a lot about HIPAA, and I don't talk nearly enough about law firms or financial firms. But so I found um, this article posted on March 13th. So it was kind of early in the coronavirus spread in the US. That was, uh, you know, before they closed the schools and everything else in, in my area. I know the West Coast was a little bit earlier than, than we were on the East Coast, but um, it was early in that stage. This is on law.com. Um, the coronavirus, this recession, and how law firms need to plan now to protect their business. Hugh Simmons offers practical tips on what law firms can do now to prepare for the impacts of a recession and the coronavirus on their businesses, including potential associate re- deferrals, hiring slowdowns, and marketing investments it's helpful in times like these for leadership teams to have a common understanding of what's going on in a broader economy its implications for law firm demand and a roadmap for how to tackle the difficult decisions ahead the following offers such a framing let's start with the economy we've entered a recession we can think of it as ultimately having one of three shapes so we do we have entered the recession regardless of whether or not the coronavirus created it i don't believe it did i believe it accelerated it but i don't believe that it created it. I believe this, we were heading for this all along. Um, So the three shapes, V-shaped, workers stay home causing a dip in economic output. The dip is followed relatively quickly quickly by a recovery in which workers put in overtime to make up for lost productivity. The economy regains its pre-dip trajectory in a matter of weeks. And so you may may look at the stock market and believe that's what's happening. Um, However, I don't believe it is. U-shaped the above initial dip in a- economic output is accompanied by a decline in consumer demand reflecting among other issues a contract a contraction in household wealth home values retirement assets etc the policymakers take respons- responsive fiscal and monetary measures and economic activity returns to pre-dip growth rate in a matter of months and in L-shaped the recession starts out as a U-shape but the policy interventions prove ineffective and the dip is prolonged into quarters and in years um you know, I'm, I'm not a financial expert, and, but I do believe the way they're trying to prop things up, I don't think it's going to work for the long haul. So that's something to think about. We experienced a V-shaped dip in recovery with SARS in 2002 and three. However, SARS and COVID-19 are very different. When SARS had run its course, there were, had been a total of 668 cases and 89 deaths outside of China. And COVID-19, the comparable comparable numbers are already over 45,000 and 1500. So as of right now, those numbers have dramatically increased. We are now uh, over 500,000 confirmed cases and over 23,000 deaths. So um, and and you know, so that's not the focus of the show. I don't want to dwell on that, but definitely not the same case. The U-shaped recession should be similar to that following the 2008 global financial crisis. The U.S. government increased its debt from 65 to 80% of GDP, and the Fed Fund's rate was cut from 5% to effectively zero. The recession officially lasted 18 months, December 2007 to June 2009. An L-shaped recession is worse than the global financial crisis may seem a needlessly bleak scenario to consider. It belongs on the set of possibilities because of the difference between 2008 and today and the starting points for any policy actions. U.S. government debt is currently at 105%, of GDP, according to 2019 quarter three, as compared with 65% in 2008, making increasing government borrowing more problematic. Similarly, on March 15th, the Fed cut its headline note rate to 0.25% and leaving no room for further cuts. And actually, they did cut it again, but Whatever the shape of the broader economic recession, the effect on law firm demand will be exaggerated response to it. This was the case in two thousand eight, but it will be even more so this time. This is because of the change since then and how aggregate demand for legal services is met between in house counsel and outside firms. Going into the last recession, there was roughly equal number of lawyers in the United States who worked in house and at AM law one hundred law firms. Since then, number of in-house lawyers has grown 40%, while that of an AmLaw 100 is essentially at 2008 level. As the economic recession reduces aggregate demand for legal services, we can expect in-house lawyers to focus first on keeping themselves busy, passing to outside counsel, only that work which they truly cannot handle in-house. Parenthetically, we can also expect that for the work they do send outside, they'll look for considerable price relief. Law firm leaders don't need to take a stance on the ultimate shape of this recession. They can let it reveal itself over time. However, they need to do three things now. Firstly, support clients in their immediate difficulties, e.g. form a task force to ensure all major clients are being contacted by senior firm representatives and offered help in any way possible, both professional and personal, to navigate the short-term exigencies. Secondly, they need to be ready with targeted initiatives to stoke demand one example one example set aside a virtual budget for key client investment initiatives and have time charged to this budget carry the same internal standing as full price client work another example reset the parameters deemed acceptable by pricing committee in order to win major matter matters thirdly there there are set of capacity there are a set of capacity and cost issues to address now so as to be able to act quickly and decisively as events unfold examples of these include equity partner transitions income partner transitions overhead cost management terminate flailing growth initiatives deferral of income incoming associate class and curtail the length of summer program again oh i'm sorry curtail the length of the summer program to all my law firm friends and clients out there i hope you can weather the storm you know if you need support today we're here to help So let's talk about something a lot of us are facing at the moment, working from home. This is an article on ZDNet. The title is Working From Home, Switch Off Amazon's Alexa, Say Lawyers. One of the byproducts of doing all your work from home is that you might be discussing confidential matters. And who might overhear them? Well, there's your smart speakers. Those... Not used to working from home must be going through several stages of spiritual discomfort. Yes, CD nets, more experienced hands can help you acclimate, acclimatize, it says, to the new working style now that the COVID 19 pandemic has disrupted modern working life. Yes, some professionals may not be able to, may not be so able to deal with life signs, their office perks, lawyers, for example. Many are used to sitting in their enclosed chambers, closing their doors, and holding vital conversations about lawyerly matters. There they feel secure. Working in their homes, they worry who may be spying on them. Alexa, for example, and her band of vastly intelligent speak, speaker persons. Bloomberg reports that famed UK law firm Maishan De Raya, motto It's business but it's personal, seriously, is telling its fine employees to mute or even totally disable domestic smart speakers for confidential business calls. Joe Hancock, the My partner who leads the cybersecurity discipline, offered these words. Perhaps we're being slightly paranoid, but we need to have a lot of trust in these organizations and these devices. We'd rather not take those risks. Paranoia is one of the three essential skills every lawyer should have. The other two are, of course, an aggressive billing department and a cataclysmic ability to outlie even a politician. When Hancock refers to devices, he means every gadget you've bought to fully express your inability to make an effort around the house and your comfort with the surveillance state. Yes, even the devastatingly ineffective Amazon Ring doorbell. The law firm conceded that there may be lesser chance of being spied on by, say, an Amazon Echo or a Google Home than some tawdry facsimile, but paranoia is paranoia. It really can't be slight. I warm to Mychon's misgivings. Can anyone really have total confidence in what these machines over here and where those recordings might appear? Sometimes such speakers have deliberately recorded your conversations to help create a better product for you, of course. Then there's the recent research that revealed Alexa and her squad have accidentally activate and record conversations up to 19 times a day. Imagine then you're a lawyer dealing with a very important case involving dirty money, local politicians, a power utility, three former contestants on The Bachelor. At some point, you utter the word Congresswoman, unbeknownst to you, that may be the moment that Alexa starts record. You see, the research I mentioned above found that Congresswoman was one of the words that made Alexa think she was being summoned. Yes, talk about ideas below her station, but imagine the possible result when Alexa records the details of this call and it mysteriously becomes a New York Post-level scandal. Bachelor contestants and local pals conned, medicined, Out of $50 million, of course, there's something else you could try. Once you've turned off Alexa, Siri, or Ms. Google, what if you don't turn them back on? You might feel curiously free. So we do have Alexas in the house, and um, I do have one right next to me that is listening at the moment because I just said the magic word. Um, When I'm having a sensitive conversation, I do turn it off because just like lawyers, there you go. Alexa stop. Just like lawyers, um, I have to have a sense of paranoia in security and I never know what's listening, what's not listening and so forth. So um there's that. Take that for what it's worth. Um hopefully work for home is uh a little easier to deal with now that it's for most of us it's been a few weeks. Uh, and then finally, we're going to talk about a COVID-19 cyber attack roundup from the past week. So a group of researchers disclosed that cyber criminals are creating thousands of websites to exploit the COVID-19. Br- Br- BRNO or Bruno University Hospital in Czech Republic and U.S. government's Department of Health and Human Services were targeted last week. So this is from March 24th. So it's a couple days old, but. Cybersecurity concerns are running high this week as large organizations, local governments, and hospitals continue to be the, to be the prime targets of hacking attempts due to COVID nineteen. However, that's not all. According to a CNBC flash survey, more than one third of executives—that's thirty six percent—say that th- cyber threats have leaped after a majority of their employees work from home at this point of the global public health crisis. And we've expressed this concern now for weeks. Um, so. Uh, how COVID-19 laid the bed for attackers. Coronavirus-related scams started around mid-January. The spread of the virus helped attackers prey on fear and confusion of people. Many sophisticated nation-state hackers used pandemic-related traps to distribute malicious payloads. Further, more and more people are now working from home, often with fewer security defenses on the home networks, have given additional attack services for an unauthorized user to attempt data extraction from their computing environment. What attempts did hackers make? Below are some of the ways in which hackers were observed trying to cash in on COVID-19 outbreak conditions in the last week. Security experts expose an ongoing phishing campaign actively spreading malware payloads through emails impersonating the Director General of the World Health Organization. Researchers discovered a phishing campaign that impersonates the World Health Organization and promises to provide the latest guidance on COVID 19 via a fake ebook titled My Health ebook. And I've actually haven't seen that one in my mailbox, but I have seen screenshots from other people. A group of researchers also disclosed that cyber criminals are creating thousands of websites to exploit the COVID 19 pandemic fears as a bait to spread malware through fake product offers. And cybercriminals targeted the Worldometers website that tracks updates on the COVID-19 pandemic. The site showed incorrect data about the current situation due to the attack. It was a couple of serious attacks. One cyber attackers targeted Brno, or Bruno University Hospital in Czech Republic, a major COVID-19 testing hub, and disrupted its operations by halting systems. And as we talked about uh, a few times now, hackers also hacked the U.S. government's Department of Health and Human Services and properly circulated a false claim that the American government planned to introduce a nationwide lockdown. They were also hit with a, um, well, they haven't confirmed, but there was rumors they were hit with a, a DDoS attack. Some ransomware operators had stated they will not attack healthcare facilities during the COVID 19 pandemic. However, maze ransomware actors, who said we will also stop all activity versus all kinds of medical organizations until the stabilization of the situation with virus, did not seem to follow their own pledge, as we talked about earlier. Um, the ransomware remediation firm Coveware and the malware defense firm MCSoft announced to offer free ransomware response services to healthcare facilities facing the encryption threats during the pandemic. The firms revealed that their offer would include technical analysis of the ransomware, development of a decryption tool whenever possible, ransom negotiation help and transaction handling if needed and more. Across the world, major steps are being taken to control the spread of the pandemic. Meanwhile, rapid changes in daily life because of COVID-19 have also affected the way people interact with internet connected technologies employees should follow these tips and tricks to stay safe while working from home and we must all be vigilant of bad actors trying to use the situation to their advantage those tips and tricks are on and that was on Cyware by the way so those tips and tricks are on cyware.com slash news and then cybersecurity tips and best practices for remote workers Uh, so I'm not going to go through it I'll skim it real quick so you have use password manager make two-factor authentication the standard, implement endpoint protection software, educate your staff on the physical safety of their devices, avoid public or unsecured Wi-Fi networks, use virtual private network VPN, educate employees on security etiquettes, and know how to detect and report phishing attempts. Um, That being said, I just discovered today that a local municipality is having their employees use remote desktop to remote into their workstations in the office and not over VPN just over Internet very unsecure and a a very common attack vector so even our government local governments are not using best practices when it comes to cybersecurity and this is going to be a big problem you're going to see more compromises because people you know, you send an employee home and say this is how you connect. They're not really trained on how to recognize threats and deal with potential threats. Um, you're not giving you're not giving them any tools to deal with those threats, uh, and it becomes a big problem. And it's going to be a big problem. You will you will see an increase in those types of attacks. <laughs> It's time for a little HIPAA education, and we're going to do that by reviewing the February 2020 healthcare data breach report, as reported on HIPAAjournal.com. There were 39 reported healthcare data breaches of 500 or more records in February, and 1,531,855 records were breached, which represents a 21.9% month-over-month increase in data breaches and a 231% increase in breached records. More records were breached in February than in the past three months combined. In February, the average breach size was 39,278 records, and the mean breach size was 3,335 records. So this was the most breaches of, well, it looks about average. So December was 41, January was 33, February was 39, uh, 500 or more. But the most records since September of 2019 when it was a little over 2 million. The largest healthcare data breaches of February 2020. So the top ten health share of Oregon, which is a health plan, had 654,362 records affected by because of the theft of a laptop, which meant, which means that that laptop was not encrypted, um, and so which means we're still not encrypting things, which just uh, you know almost as much as email it blows my mind. BST and company CPAs, LLP. You may remember we talked about this one a little bit um, a few weeks ago. Business associate, 170,000. So this is a CPA, by the way, 170,000 records. Hacking IT incident, a network server. I believe that was a ransomware attack. Aviana Healthcare, healthcare provider, 166,077. Hacking IT incident was email. Overlake Medical Center and Clinics. 109,000 email, Tennessee Orthopedic Alliance, 81,146 email, Munson Healthcare, 75,502 email, NCH Healthcare Systems, healthcare provider email, that was 63,581. Solo Labs Inc., which was a business associate, that was also a network server, so I don't recall that one, I'm guessing ransomware, JDC Healthcare Management, 45,748 email, Ozark Orthopedics PA, 15,240 email. So of the top 10 breaches, seven of them were email, 70% of them, meaning phishing, and which means lack of training, lack of mitigation, and lack of multi-factor authentication on those email accounts. Two of them were network server, likely to be ransomware. And one was a stolen laptop that did not have any encryption. Because if it was encrypted, you wouldn't have to report it. Causes of February healthcare data breaches. So of the 39, two of them were improper disposal. I vaguely recall talking about those. Uh, one, two of them were also lost. Three were theft. I think one of them was a the theft of a server, if I recall correctly. Maybe two of them. Six, unauthorized access or disclosure and 26 of them hacking IT incident and then the location of the data of the PHI one was a desktop computer one was portable electronic device two were laptops five were network servers eight were paper f- paper films and drum roll please 22 of them email email continues to be a big problem um five of the breaches in February were business associates, eight were health plans, and 26 were healthcare providers. Now, business associates have already been put on notice that they will be subject to more enforcement this year. Now, currently, we're dealing with COVID-19, and HHS, has, of course, is heavily involved in that. So I don't know how much enforcement we're going to see in the next, I guess, two to three months, probably, at least. Um, but There's going to be enforcements against business associates. We've only had one enforcement so far this year, and we talked about that last week. Um, Email continues to be an issue, and I still, for the life of me, don't understand why we're not encrypting, especially portable devices, but all devices in reality. Why are we not encrypting things? Because if that laptop was encrypted, you don't have to report it. If your emails have multi-factor authentication and your employees are educated on what to look for in phishing, and you're doing you're taking mitigation steps, then guess what? You you have a lot less than 22 email breaches. This is going to climb because of the COVID 19 phishing uh, attacks that are occurring. You're going to see. I can promise you, March will be more email email breaches for healthcare. I could just about guarantee it. Um, that is our HIPAA education piece. Again, we shouldn't be keeping PHI in email. I get that occasionally there might be a need to do that, but we shouldn't be doing that. But we need multi-factor authentication. We need to have phishing mitigation measures in place, and we need to educate our employees on what to look for. Oh, and we need to encrypt things. All right, it's time for the HIPAA breach roundup for the week. Not a lot. Again, I'm sure the HHS is, is busy, um, but we have a few. So Hawaii Pacific Health has discovered an employee of Straub Medical Center in Honolulu has been snooping on medical records of patients over a period of more than five years. Hawaii Pacific Health discovered the unauthorized access on January 17, 2020 and launched an investigation. An analysis of the access logs revealed... The employee first started viewing patient records in November of 2014 and continued to do so undetected until January 2020, so more than five years. During that time, the employee viewed the medical records of 3,772 patients. After concluding the investigation, the employee was terminated. Effective patients had received treatment at Straub Medical Center, Kapiolani Medical Center for Women and Children, Palimomi Medical Center, or Wilcox Medical Center. The types of information that the employee could have viewed included patients, first and last names, telephone numbers, addresses, email addresses, dates of birth, race, ethnicity, religion, medical record numbers, primary care provider information, dates of service, appointment types and related notes, hospital account numbers, department name, provider names, guarantee names account numbers, health plan names, and social security numbers. The reason for accessing records was not determined, but Hawaii Pacific Health believes it was out of curiosity rather than to obtain sensitive information for malicious purposes. However, data theft could not be ruled out. All patients whose record were accessed by the employee were notified by mail on March 17, 2020, and were offered one year of free credit monitoring and identity restoration services. Um. The Minnesota-based senior care provider LifeSpark, which is spelled S-P-R-K, is notifying 9,000 of its clients that some of their protected health information was potentially compromised as a result of a November 2019 phishing attack. January 17, 2020, LifeSpark discovered an unauthorized individual had gained access to email account of one of its employees. The account was immediately secured and third-party cybersecurity firm was engaged to investigate the breach. The cybersecurity firm determined that a limited number of employee email accounts were compromised from November 5th through November 7th. For the majority of affected individuals, information in the compromised accounts was limited to names, medical record numbers, health insurance information, and some health information. Certain patients also had financial information and or their social security number exposed. The investigation into the breach is ongoing. To date, no evidence of data theft or misuse of protected health information has been found. Affected patients started to be notified on March 17, 2020. The delay in sending notifications was due to unprecedented actions taken in response to COVID-19. Individuals whose social security number was exposed have been offered complimentary credit monitoring and identity theft protection services. Um, I have a couple of problems with this particular breach. One is it says... Um, that one email account was compromised, but then later on it says the, the compromised accounts. So I don't know if that was more than one. This again is a case of no multi-factor authentication, no phishing mitigation steps. The other problem I have is they, they did report in 60 days. So I'm not sure why they're saying that the, the delay was due to the unprecedented actions taken in response to COVID-19, but. That's just an excuse. That should not be happening. And we really didn't start feeling the effects of COVID-19 till early March. So don't know that that's really relevant. University of Utah Health announced on Friday that unauthorized individuals gain access to the email accounts of a limited number of employees between January 7th and February 21st and potentially access patients protected health information. University of Utah Health discovered on February 3rd, 2020 that malware had been installed on an employee's workstation, which potentially gave unauthorized individuals access to patients protected health information. The information stored in the email accounts and on an affected computer was limited to names, birth dates, medical record numbers, and some clinical information related to care provided by the University of Utah Health. It is currently unclear how many patients have been affected by the breach. And, and the Oregon Department of Human Services has discovered an unauthorized individual gained access to the email account of one of its employees as a result of a response to spear phishing email. Information technology security processes had been put in place to detect email account compromises rapidly, which has limited the potential for data theft. The email account security breach was detected on March 6. And the account was immediately secured the oregon dhs will be seeking assistance from third-party entity to review the incident and determine what information has been exposed and how many individuals have been affected those individuals will be notified in due course at this stage there's no indication that any phi has been accessed copied or misused however out of the abundance of caution identity theft protection services will be offered to all affected clients so it's interesting to me that they have measures in place to catch it immediately so it sounds like they they noticed the the anomaly quickly and, and acted on it, but they don't have, doesn't sound like they have multi-factor authentication set up either. And it was spear phishing. So that makes me wonder, was it a high level executive that was um, potentially compromised? All right. That is going to do it for this episode of the proactive it podcast. So until next week, stay safe, stay secure. And stay healthy, everyone.